If you've struggled with stress, balance, or burnout, and simply feel discouraged or even defeated, and if you're ready to move from force to flow and enjoy ultimate Zen success in your career, health, or relationships, then the Zen Success Show is for you. Your host, Carissa Sims, is an entrepreneur, corporate consultant, best-selling author, meditation teacher, and healer who has found her own Zen success. Here's your host, Carissa Sims. Welcome to this week's episode of Zen Success. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Lion Goodman. Lion is a transformational coach, author, healer, and teacher. At the age of 26, Lion was shot in the head four times. This near-death experience kickstarted his five decades of research into the nature of consciousness, developmental psychology, spirituality, and healing. He created the Clear Beliefs Method of Trauma-Informed Therapeutic Coaching. Very interesting which he has taught to more than 500 coaches, healers, and therapists around the world. His training, oh, wow, (laughs) I'm having like a heart expansion. His training is accredited by both the International Coaching Federation and Association for Coaching. In a single session, Lion can eliminate a client's limiting or negative belief from their subconscious mind heal a childhood wound, or resolve a trauma from the past. The clear beliefs method is a multidimensional approach to rapid, deep healing. Lion has taught workshops around the world and authored five books, including Creating on Purpose, Clear Your Clients, Limiting Beliefs, and Menlightenment. He is a co-author of a new book, Transforming Trauma, with Joe Vitale, Marcy Shimoff, John Demartini, and Christy Whitman. Welcome, Lion. Thank you, Carissa. Great to be here. Yes, it's so nice to meet you. I'm so happy you were referred to me because everything you're doing is so in alignment with my coaching and healing and the message that I try to portray to my audience in the podcast. So it's just so, I just so appreciate your persistence and your inquiry and and everything. And and now here we are finally, months later, finally talking. And I'm just really excited to learn more about the depth of your work and your amazing book with all these incredible people. So thanks for being here. Happy to be here, and um, I really appreciate your work in the world and this podcast and how you reach out to the world and share these ideas. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. So I want to go into some concepts about death. So what do you believe happens when we die? Well, first of all, we need to talk about belief to talk about whether I believe in death or not. (laughs) Okay, let's have some context here. I like it. I like it. Okay. Yes, we have to make sure we're coming from the right place. Right. So for me, beliefs are the structures of the mind. We could call it the infrastructure of the mind in the same way that neurons are the infrastructure of the brain. Mm. We start. Did you study neuroscience? I did. Yes. Uh, So. Most people think of beliefs as a mental construct, like I believe in Santa Claus or I don't believe in, you know, more government, right? But but beliefs are actually infrastructure. They're what the mind is made of. And babies in the womb are beginning to form their mind through identifying patterns and then using those patterns to, to survive. And so this is at the level, so this is way before words, right? They're pre-verbal. A baby coming out of the womb can identify the mother's voice as distinguished from another woman's voice. So they're already identifying patterns. And then we begin to identify patterns in our world, in the swirl of experience. This face comes close and I feel warm and nurtured. That face comes close. I feel cold and prickly. Mm. So, so... When I talk about beliefs, I'm talking about this infrastructure of the mind. 
And because I understand it, I don't believe anything. <laughs> because I know that a belief, a belief is just a sort of a microcosm of the infinite universe, right? It's a small pattern in the infinite universe. That, so, that resides within us? Yes, it's our own pattern. Now, there's mm -hmm. family patterns because we get indoctrinated by our family, and there's cultural patterns. We get indoctrinated by our culture. We grow up, grow up inside the soup of beliefs of our culture, and we take them on because that's how we belong to the family or to the group. And so we're constantly taking on the beliefs of others eagerly, uh, even if they're indoctrinated into us, even if they're negative. If a parent says... Uh, you're a waste of space, you take it on because you want to align with your parent. Because if you are, if you are similar, if you are like your parent, they will like you and they won't flush you down the toilet. <laughs> so, so this really primitive instinct causes us to take on the beliefs around us and, and then work with them, use them, either thrive or not thrive based on them because they're useful when we're children, not so useful when we're adults. As an example, I use uh, a, a good belief for a baby is if I cry and make a fuss, I'll get taken care of. Mm -hmm. That really works for a baby. But some people never get rid of that belief and are still using it as adults. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing. It's true. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like imagining all these adults like crying, <laughs> like because they, they need help or whatever it might be. And gosh, that's amazing. I just haven't heard it referenced like that before. But then, you know, there's then there's people who cried and no one came for help. So then what happens? Then they form a new belief. They form the belief, uh, if I stay quiet and I don't make any noise, I'll get taken care of. So Except the, the, for if, what if they don't get taken care of? Even well, if you're quiet. Uh, then they die. Okay. <laughs> or so they get taken take out of the home. Because I've heard right. of people, you know, successful people that remember just crying and no one being there. And 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 it's just interesting um, yeah. to hear that, that they remember that. Yes. And they can form the belief, okay, I'm not going to get cared for. I need to do it myself. Uh, yeah. So they Got become self-sufficient and self-sufficiency right. is, is honored in our culture. Oh, look at little Johnny. Isn't he great? He doesn't need to be taken care of. Yeah. self-sufficient. Unfortunately, Johnny believes nobody's ever going to care for me. So I'll just do it myself. I'll take care of myself. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So these are very deep beliefs that get formed early in childhood before we have words. So they're mm. pre-verbal subconscious beliefs yeah and that can close your heart off to others uh, right absolutely and, and absolutely relationships yeah. and yeah a, a, a child whose parent dies doesn't know that doesn't know or understand death they just feel abandoned and so they're going to if the, if those feelings are overwhelming to the ch to the child or the infant which they usually are because they're big feelings the the child will just shut down it's like shock if they shut down their emotional body so they don't have to feel the pain. And so then the, that's a pattern that stays stuck in them for the, their whole life until they unfreeze it. And so do you believe that uh, babies take on the belief systems of their mother and father from their DNA or from the voices that they may integrate into the womb? All of those things are true because we take on the beliefs of our environment, of okay. our parents, of our siblings, of our teachers, of our friends, of the TV, of the media, of the internet. So uh, of our ancestors, there, there is epigenetics proof that trauma it can be seen in up to four generations after a after a rat is traumatized. Four generations later, you can still see the trauma markers in their in their telomeres uh, in their DNA caps. So we know that trauma, especially, can be passed down. You know, we're, we're also aware that we're multidimensional beings having multidimensional experiences, including picking up things psychically. Right. Yeah. So in the air, we pick up understandings when we're in the womb we're actually feeling everything mother feels and thinking everything mother thinks and eating everything mother 
eats, right? So we are part of the mother and therefore whatever's going on in the mother is going to be part of the information that the baby uses to develop a self. Mm -hmm. So if a mother is frightened because of a violent husband or war or poverty, yeah. the, baby, the baby could conclude in a nonverbal way, in an experiential way, life is dangerous. Mm. So they could come out of the womb already set up for the belief life is dangerous. Yeah, that's interesting. My mom was in a fire when I was in the womb and, you know, barely survived. We barely survived. And she also saved other people. She was in a halfway house. So there, there was some trauma, I believe in, in my womb, but I've never thought about addressing it. Do you know what I mean? Like that it could be affecting me in my life. How, how does that, how would that might affect me in my life now? Well, there's many possibilities. It might not affect you at all, depending on how, what happened afterwards. It's like if, mm. if everything recovered, you know, we're, our bodies are built to recover from trauma. The problem is not the trauma itself. It's what we do with it afterwards. Did we make some meaning out of it? Like, oh, that means, you know, a child whose who's a, a parent dies, that means I'm not worthy of love, right? Yes. So the belief that gets formed after the trauma, not the trauma itself, a child who's beaten uh, by their father may come to the conclusion, you know, I'm no good. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm rotten. There's something wrong with me. Uh, which is one of the most common beliefs around is there something wrong with me so it's it's what it, that's what carries forward it's not the physical trauma it's right. so if a child is traumatized but then cared for immediately it's, i've got you it's okay I, you know we'll be okay we're going to do fine uh -huh. or, you know then the child can recover and integrate the trauma into their system I see. Yeah. So in a, in a way, it's how you react or what happens after and how you respond to that. If you take that in and, and feel that comfort and love, or maybe you push it away because that, you know, you don't want to be hurt again by someone you love. Right. Right. Yeah. So there's many ways to go based on what happens to you. And we really just need to work on the things that are stuck in us because the things that we recovered from, integrated and, and moved on from, they're not the problem. The problem is the ones we didn't integrate, that we didn't heal from, that are still stuck and still impacting our relationships or our health or our, our work uh, in the world. And that's so that's what we start with in therapeutic coaching, um, what's going on, what's in the way, what's the problem. Then we go to the source of that particular problem and work there in the subconscious mind. Mm, that's wonderful. You know, I want to go back because I'm not a researcher or a scientist. I'll just say that I'm an occupational therapist. I teach meditation. I have this show and, and I also see individual clients and do workshops and sometimes I will see, and you said the research points to four generations back that, um, you know, they could be affected today by that. And sometimes I see in my clients, not all the time, seven generations back, and that when I heal them, it actually can affect the whole lineage in the future as well. So what do you think about that? Um, I, I don't know. I was just like curious because I'm wondering if I'm accurate. <laughs> uh, memory is malleable. Okay. And you, we can go back and actually change memory and change the conclusions that came from that experience. Mm -hmm. That's part of our work uh, in psychology. It's called memory reconsolidation. And that's mm. scientifically proven in rats, at least. <laughs> and it, it's uh, expanded to humans that, that we can actually take apart a memory, shift it, and then put it back together. So that is the nature of our work, a, a significant part of the work we do. Beautiful. Um, and uh, I happen to to conceive of the, the lineage we have that goes back, not just seven generations, but also karmically back 
perhaps. Oh, past you know, lives. Yeah, tens of thousands. Oh, of years. that's awesome. Yeah, I, the, I see that coming through too. Right, yeah, right. And that those those experiences, whatever we're carrying from the past, can be healed. Now, some things from the past, like bad karma, has to be healed with good karma, with good action. Right? It's not just mm. a thought form. Sometimes we have to get it into action. In the same way that when we change our beliefs. We have to change our behavior. Otherwise, what good is it? Mm -hmm. So there's always behavioral change. When we change something at the core, like a self-image, for example, I'm no good. If we can change that at the core, suddenly the person feels doesn't feel that anymore. And they are a different person. So they're the they're a person who has self-esteem rather than no self-esteem. So mm -hmm. we can do that re quite rapidly. But there's other things that are negative karma, the doingness karma that has to be undone through doingness. Mm, interesting. Yeah. That this is so fascinating. I, I love this conversation. And and I'm also wondering about my own kids. So they're young, pretty young, seven and ten. And I now I feel like, oh my gosh, I wonder if I am actually giving them trauma when I'm criticizing them and maybe they're internalizing it and saying that I'm no good. Like, for example, it, it might seem like something minor, like, oh, wash your face. Your face is dirty or take more showers. I'm sorry. I'm confessing. <laughs> My kids don't like to take showers, <laughs> you know, but that's a judgment. You know, I'm judging them that I feel like they need to be cleaner than they are. What do you think about something like that? I mean, I guess anything could be considered trauma. I'm just being hypothetical. Most trauma from criticism comes from the, the error that you're bad, not that you're good and you did something bad. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. most of our parents didn't have that distinction. They just said, you know, you stink <laughs> instead of saying <laughs> right. oh, you're a wonderful being and you smell bad. So please go take a shower. So when you I'm make gonna it say up, that now, OK, <laughs> stop. For just, I'm going to say that you're a wonderful <laughs> being. OK, this is for our audience, you know, to be kind, you know, be kind to your kids when you're yeah. telling them to do something. Maybe yeah. I love you, you know, and the truth is you smell bad to me and <laughs> you smell bad to others. And you'll have more friends if you smell good. And there's a good lot of good reasons why to take a shower. <laughs> so yes. you're just you're distinguishing the being from the from the doing, right? The, Beautiful. The, I love you're not, it. You're not making it about them. And whenever you say you are, yes, you know, you are bad versus you're a good person and you just did something bad. And let me correct the doingness, right? Let me correct the behavior. But okay. you are essentially good. Then the child can have self-esteem and recognize, oh, there's good behavior, bad behavior, yeah. things that impact other people. Maybe I should pay attention to those things. Right? Yeah. So, so that's well, the maybe last. that will be your next book, A Parenting. <laughs> 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 because I, I really love that. It's simple concept. And we, oh my gosh, we got so off on a tangent and I didn't even get to hear your wisdom about death. So let's go back to that because now we defined belief and we dug deep into that. Amazing. So what do you believe happens when you die? I had a near-death experience myself, so I can only speak from my experience and from everything I've studied. <laughs> so yeah. I don't, I don't. Did you actually die? Or uh, was no, it near death? No, okay. no, it was a near death experience. So um, when I was 26 years old, I was shot by a man who wanted to kill me and take my stuff. Uh, he shot me four times, two bullets uh, creased my skull. And so, but I was, by the time the fourth bullet happened, I was already outside of my body looking mm. on, at this scene. Was and it so, random? A random person? No, he had traveled with me for three days and I had grown to trust him. Oh, I'll be happy to give you the um, the website where my story is. And <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's long. Also, yeah. the, also the film that was made based on the story that won a Best Film Award at a film. Oh film. yes, we have to watch it, everybody yeah. in the audience. Uh, so, um, but so I was out of body, you know, looking down at the scene, recognizing, oh, I'm not that body down there that's about to die. I was sure I was going to die, and uh, I was 
connecting to source and in this love light that was pouring through me because I knew I was going to die. So might as well die well. Uh, and so it was actually that source, um, that energy that was with me, that I was in total acceptance of what was happening, that allowed the fourth bullet to actually push my head over rather than blow the top of my skull off. So um, there's many aspects to that story that are interesting. But the one we're talking about is I recognize that death does not mean you end. It just means that your consciousness is not connected to the body your except body. of the time. <laughs> so, yeah, that's so, interesting. Yeah, and that and I, that aligns with everything I had studied. Yeah, and I know you said near death, but sometimes people say, "Well, actually, I died and I came back." Mm-hmm. But you, it seemed like you had angels. Like you, that is a miracle. I feel. It was a miracle. He was 12 feet away. His hand was propped up and he was rated an expert marksman in the army. So it's uh, unlikely that either he didn't want to kill me really, or, uh, or there were angels looking, or I have a hard aura. That's another possibility. Oh my God. That is so cool. <laughs> I've never heard of that before having a hard aura. And um, so, but one thing that you said also, it, maybe his soul, there was something in his soul that did something a little bit different that didn't want to kill you. You, you raise that as a possibility. That's so fascinating. Yeah, there's uh, I had a, a, what what can I call it, kind of a realization at one point that this had been a karmic relationship. And Mm -hmm. we had been killing each other over and over and over again in multiple lifetimes. And this was the final resolution with me not being mad at him, not being angry, not trying to kill him back, but making peace with him. So that's just one of the possibilities. Again, I don't have hard beliefs, but I like to explore possibilities. Yeah. So, so do you believe some people have an auric field that is impenetrable or harder to kill? No, that was kind of a joke. (laughs) (laughs) And I I was like, oh my God, because everything we're talking about before, I was like, I'm really open, you know, and you're a researcher. So good. You're joking with me. I love it. Okay. So what about, what was your life like before then, before this happened to you? It seemed like you're living a life of adventure or how was it? Well, um, I was living the life of an itinerant hippie salesman. (laughs) And the reason I was doing that was because I couldn't find a real job because I had graduated with a degree in consciousness studies from the University of Colorado, where I was attending. This was back oh, in- I live in Colorado. Do you? I grew up in Colorado. Very so cool. I was I was there um, and uh, I created my own major in consciousness studies, graduated. Nobody was hiring people with consciousness degrees because nobody had ever created one before. So I was, I was the first as far as I know. Um, and so I took a job as a traveling salesman and uh, I got to travel the Southwest and um, I, I knew I it wasn't my life. You know, I was just doing this to kind of see the world and be independent and you know, make my way. Um, but I wasn't sure what was next. I thought about medical school, which was the original idea, or go, going back for a PhD in psychology. Um, but I really wasn't sure, and I was just having a good time. And then this incident happened, and and in the middle of the incident, I realized, oh, that's why I didn't know what my future was because I don't have one. I'm going to die at the age of 26. So um, uh, that incident actually grounded me. I was kind of a spiritual guy, and and that incident grounded me. So I went to get a real job, and my real job after being shot was as a headhunter, which is kind of ironic after having my head hunted. I thought so that became my career for 25 years was working wow. with executives and corporations. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. Okay. So now I want to go to your book a little bit and talk about um, past trauma. So how do you feel the past trauma plays a role in our success in life? Well, trauma uh, we, we talk about post-traumatic stress syndrome, but there's also post-traumatic growth syndrome. Some mm-hmm. people actually grow from their trauma. Uh, trauma can be like rocket fuel and it can send us off in a direction, right? I'm going to push against mm-hmm. what happened to me 
and become great or, or become intellectual or become yeah. kind or loving, right? Or start uh, a nonprofit. Like sometimes people do that sure. before they become a speaker and talk about their experience. Right. right. So that's post-traumatic growth. Uh, oh, cool. So post-traumatic stress is when that thing did not get resolved. And so the body or the mind tries to hide it. So there's addictions. People can go into addictions from trauma or they can go into poverty or they can go into crime. So that's like the rocket that just, you know, sends the person in the wrong direction. And so uh, and then there's therapy. So therapy, therapeutic coaching, in my case, is a way of resolving the trauma, finding the truth in it, finding the ability to integrate what happened and then use that as the next fuel for life, for getting into the right direction. So for some people, it's just uh, a repeated pattern in their mind. Like there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. No matter what I do, there's something wrong with me. Or I'm an imposter. I'm not really this person that's a, a speaker talking about you know enlightenment. Inside, I'm still a broken child. Right. So these are things that can be solved, can be resolved and integrated into the person's life so that the direction is forward instead of backward. It's, it's like a, like a leash being, you know, holding somebody back. Mm, interesting. So how can that impact us financially? Well, if you believe there's something wrong with you, then if someone paid you money, uh, they would, they would be paying somebody who there's something wrong with. <laughs> so, so you don't want to, you don't want to be financially successful or if you're hiding because you're a terrible person, uh, you don't want to be a speaker and speak out and talk to people about your skills because mm -hmm. then they would see you, they would see how broken you are and you would not be able to, you know, handle being seen because of the shame. So there's all kinds of uh, ways that we compensate for early traumas and some are successful, some we would call unsuccessful, but anyone can heal the trauma. I've worked with people who had, had unbelievably terrible trauma repeatedly sure. in childhood and gotten them, you know, into a natural life, into a, a healthy life. So it just, it, the more complex the trauma, the more repeated the trauma is, the longer it takes to resolve, but it can be resolved piece by piece. Mm. And what about romantically? How can that that trauma hold us back in relationships? Well, we are relational beings, and we our first relationships are with our parents and our siblings, and if and we model ourselves after the people that we're with because we want to belong to the family, so they we don't get thrown out to the wolves. So we, a baby, a child learns what love is by how their parents treat each other and how the parents treat them. And so we carry that pattern with us because that's what love is. So if there's, if there's abandonment, love equals abandonment. If there's uh, abuse, love equals abuse. If there, if there's kindness, love equals kindness. And then when we get, when we grow up and we start looking for love, we look for that thing that we learned what love is. So if there was abuse, we're looking, our subconscious mind is looking for someone who will abuse us. Mm. And, you know, where they look terrific at the surface level, but somehow the subconscious mind says in about three months, I'm going to start getting abused. So I'll really be loved. And so that pattern has to be cleared out in order for us to learn what love really is instead of what love isn't, because mm -hmm. it's just an error of, of pattern. Yeah, that's interesting. Have you ever worked with shelters to help uh, heal the people of uh, domestic abuse? I've given talks at, uh, talks at shelters. I've also given talks at San Quentin prison to prisoners. Very uh, cool. yeah, and so uh, it is part of my dharma to, to reach out to people who don't, who don't have money, who have made a mess yeah. of their lives and are trying to heal. Yeah, that's amazing. So tell me about your book, Transforming Trauma. So what inspired you to write it? Was it your own trauma of what happened to you at 26 or other things? 
Well, first of all, I was a, a contributor to the book. It was a, one of those collective books where collective books. articles articles are are contributed. So I was invited to contribute to that yeah. book. Okay, that's, got that's it. So yeah, book. I want to distinguish that. Good. Right. Yeah. Um, they reached out to you. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yes, I was traumatized by that incident. On the other hand, I did not have post-traumatic stress syndrome. Part of the reason why was because I was awake and alert and relaxed and open and accepting throughout the entire event, including the eight hours we talked after the shooting. So I never lost consciousness. I was fully conscious. I was integrating and accepting the experience as it was happening. There was no resistance in my body or brain or or, uh, or spirit. And so there was nothing left over after it happened. Mm -hmm. So I did not. And that's what I tell people is if you're with your experience, when you're experiencing it, and you experience it fully, it will integrate as it's happening rather than getting stored in your body somewhere. Ah, I see. But that's really hard to do and scary, right? I mean, if you fear death, it is. Sure. Um, and uh, there's nothing to fear about death. You've done it 1000s of times successfully. And it's always successful. So so you can relax about that. Mm. Well, there's some pretty amazing people that are part of this book. Joe Vitale, John Martini, Marcy Shymoff. I mean, that's amazing to write this book with them. What was your section of the book about? It was about how our beliefs uh, create our traumas and how unintegrated experience creates the trauma and how it can be resolved just as I've been talking about, about going back and actually re reconsolidating the memory, changing what happened, changing the memory of what happened, which changes the current mind so that you can create a better future. Mm, amazing. So what's a multidimensional approach to healing? How does it work? We are multidimensional beings uh, having multidimensional experiences. So right now you're seeing, feeling, thinking, uh, touching, sensing, you have an energetic body that's energetically sensitive, you have a karmic experience as a spirit and a soul. And so all these things are happening at once. And our conscious mind is just the little tip of the iceberg. Uh, that's the what we're aware of in this moment. But that awareness of what's in this moment is filtered by our beliefs, by the by the lenses that we look through. Uh, and see the world. So if you have a belief that life is dangerous, when you're looking through that lens, all you see is danger everywhere. If life is joy, then you see joy everywhere, right? So our current conscious experience is uh, is filtered by our beliefs. But then we have all of this unconscious and subconscious experience going on all at once. If we experienced everything all at once that we're experiencing, we'd probably be overwhelmed, which is why the brain kind of filters yeah. it down and says, you know, I'm getting all these signals from all your nerve endings, billions of nerve endings, but I'm only going to show you the ones that are really important right now. Like you just stubbed your toe. Now you can be aware of your toe because that's important, right? But otherwise the toe is sending information saying, here I am, this is what I'm experiencing, but we're not experiencing it at the moment. Um, and so we have all these different aspects of self that are operating at every moment of our lives, but most of them are pushed down into the subconscious mind. Mm. So our, because so we're experiencing that, that's our ex multidimensional experience, and our beliefs are formed out of our experience. Somebody beats you up and you form a belief out of that experience. And so our beliefs are multidimensional structures as well. They're multidimensional memories plus conclusions plus a strategy for how to survive. So when we're working with people, we're going down into that whole complex that is that is what a belief is made of. A lot of people take the, the approach of changing beliefs as just a mental verbal process. Well, just don't believe that anymore. Mm. Or just say this affirmation instead. And of course, everybody knows affirmations don't work because they're only the the very surface of this whole complex mm. belief structure. Not everyone knows that, that they don't work. Well, they'll figure it out. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> now, there yeah. are some people, there are some people that, that um, uh, affirmations work for. And those are people who don't have any 
negative beliefs that are in opposition, opposition to the affirmation. Yeah. That and makes sense. People, you have to believe will, it and feel it, right? Yeah. Some people can will themselves to believe something. That's a very small part of the population. Uh, people can just say, all right, I'm going to believe this from now on. And they do. Uh, but it takes a lot of will to do that. I figure it's maybe 1% of the population. And so we look at people who successfully used affirmations. And we say, oh, they are, that ought to work for everybody. But it doesn't work for everybody because most of us have a lot of negative beliefs that come up in opposition to the affirmation. I have a lot of money. No, you don't look in your bank account. You've got to be kidding. You've never had a lot of money. We're, we're poverty people. Yeah. We, you know, so until you clear those beliefs out, then, then the new belief doesn't do anything. It's like throwing seeds on rocky, weedy ground, hoping something grows. Well, instead, if you clear the rocks and the weeds from the soil, and then you plant the seeds in good soil with good water and sun, then they can take and they can fruit and blossom and, and, uh, bring you what you want, but you have to clear the old beliefs first. Mm. Take us through a session of you working with a client and some of the modalities or approaches you would use. Well, that would take a, another couple of hours. Uh, <laughs> why, why don't we start with, with you? Um, so is there something from your past that you feel is unresolved? Hmm. Maybe my relationship with my father. Okay. And just describe briefly what the issue is um, in general. I'm sure I wasn't lot. expecting to be highlighted here. Well, you asked. You asked. I, <laughs> hey, okay, here we go. Bring it. Um, so I, I think I had some resistance towards him because my mom did a little bit of parental alienation, talking negatively about my dad. And then my dad was like always on a budget, trying to use coupons, save money and and in that consciousness. And then he also had this dynamic where he didn't really want to spend time with me. He was a little slightly annoyed with me. Like when I'd ask him, oh, I want to learn tennis. He'd just be like, no, you know, don't bother. Or um, I would like to run with him and he didn't want me to do that. And then I, but I loved running and I think I got that from him. And then um, I was 16 and I ran a race with him and I beat him and he never ran again. Wow. And he never said, I mean, yeah, like, <laughs> I know. And so it's just kind of like an interesting dynamic. So I kind of, I have some issues with him, like maybe me not being good enough, him not being good enough, not respecting him, like all this stuff. So anyway, there we go. Yeah, good. Well, it's a lot to work with, but let's narrow it down to one. <laughs> um, so um, based on your father's behavior, what did you conclude about yourself? Why would he, why would he treat his daughter that way? That, well, look, I'll just take the example of me beating him in a race. Like if I shine my light or succeed, I won't get love from my father. Bingo. Okay. There's a great belief to work with. Yeah. So, so close your eyes for a moment. Okay. If you would allow me to take you through this process. Okay. Okay. Uh, and feel what it feels like to hold the belief if I shine my light, I won't get loved. Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty core belief. And as you as you say it to yourself, even though you, there's other parts of you that know that it's not true, but but the parts that does believe it's true, feel what that part feels like, and feel it in your body. Mm -hmm. And where do you notice it appearing in your body sensations? Uh, like a rock in my heart, a heaviness. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you, if you would close your eyes and feel the rock mm -hmm. and, and feel its shape and size mm -hmm. and give me a description of, of how many inches by how many inches by how many inches it is. I would say five inches across, mm -hmm. uh, four inches down, uh, two and a half inches thick. Okay, very good. And just allow that rock to be there. Allow the sensation to be there. 
And if you were to take this sensation out of your heart and put it on a rate weight scale, how much would it weigh? <laughs> oh, 33 is coming. I don't know. 33 pounds. Good. That's the answer. Whatever answer comes is the right okay. answer. And uh, if you called it a rock, but is it, if it were made of some material, what would it be made of? Granite. Mm -hmm. okay. Crystal. Feels crystal. Mm -hmm. Very good. And um, what color is it? Uh, grayish brown. Okay. So allow that 33 pound rock. It's about five by four by two. Allow it to be there. Breathe. Make sure you're breathing and give it space in your heart. Just allow it to be there. Mm -hmm. Is it putting pressure in any direction? Down. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. And is it 33 pounds of pressure pushing down? Mm -hmm. Okay. Very good. And is it moving at all or vibrating or is it still? Uh, it does seem to be moving now. Mm -hmm. It seemed previously it was still. Okay. What, how is it moving now? Just like in different directions a little bit. Okay, good. Now, every sensation is like a messenger uh, mm -hmm. knocking at the door. And if you pay attention, if you open the door, they say, here, I got a message for you, sign here. But if mm -hmm. you don't open the door, they knock louder and louder and louder until they finally get out a sledgehammer and knock your door down. So put your attention on this rock, on this 33-pound rock, mm -hmm. and imagine that it's a being you could communicate with and ask it the question, what message do you have for me? And then listen to whatever it says in whatever language it speaks. Mm. <laughs> you want to know? I would, yes. If, if you'd be willing to share. Sure, I can share. Stop letting this hold, hold you back. Okay, good. So thank it for communicating. Thank you. And ask it, why haven't I been able to let this go? Um... Okay. Uh, why? Okay. Because I haven't been able to, because I have guilt uh, around my father dying and the way he died. Like, like I, I kind of like want his energy with me, maybe still oh man, his energy here. So. Okay, good. And so thank it for communicating that. Thank you. And ask, how can I resolve this guilt that I have over my father's death? <laughs> well, release and let it go. It was his time anyway. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So thank it again. Thank you. And say, is there anything, any other message you have for me? And if not, you can, you can go now. <laughs> Just do it. Okay, good. Okay, so thank you. I've received your message and thank you may you. go. Okay. I received your message. Thank you. You may go. Good. And when you're ready, open your eyes. Mm. That's so interesting. You know, I had a similar process for healing my own cancer in 2020 where I was talking to myself and, and getting the messages it, it right. took, it wasn't this instant for the healing, maybe because of my belief system. It, it still took me just over a year to heal. Well, cancer is a physicalized phenomenon. Um, yes. what, what you just felt was a internal sense uh, yeah, a phenomenon which is easier to to clear. So just check to see if that I thing see. is in your heart anymore, or is it gone? I still feel something. Okay, and in so, my heart, but I don't know if it's that. Well, we, we would we would then continue the process we and work continue. with that, right? Yeah. Um, but I thought that was a a good example of one of the ways we are able to clear things that are hanging around because now you can let go now you know your it's your dad's time you don't you weren't the cause and so that would be letting go of whatever you were holding on to about that particular incident 
Mm-hmm. So we have thousands of micro traumas in our lives uh, that and some of them are really impactful. <clears throat> so we just go through the process and clear them with, we've got 12 different techniques. I see. Clearing, or clearing those things. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Amazing. That's so, it was so beautiful. It was such a beautiful experience. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, can you share some success stories from your clients and um, talking about maybe career or financial success in particular? Sure. One of my favorite stories is um, a man who came to me and he was a multimillionaire and he was a multimillionaire because he made millions, then lost millions and made millions and lost millions and made millions and lost millions. I've heard that before. He was tired of the, of, of that and he wanted, and down. he wanted to understand the pattern. So uh, in my work with him, I, I took him back through his body sensations and back in time. And he suddenly remembered being three years old, walking with his mother on the streets of New York, uh, holding her hand and seeing a shiny penny on the ground and getting very excited and reaching down for the penny. And his mother jerked him back and oh. said, don't touch that it's dirty. Oh, dirty money. That's right. He had the same realization that he couldn't hold on to his money. He knew how to make money, but he couldn't hold on to it because it was dirty and he shouldn't touch it. So that was the that was the key element that, yeah. that caused the pattern as an adult. You know, he didn't know what the pattern was. He just knew the result of it. And we were able to find it, clear it, and he didn't have to lose money anymore after that. That's amazing. It's so beautiful, you know, and I pick up pennies. (laughs) I believe anything, everything is abundance. So I, I do, I pick up and no matter how dirty gross, even if like, you can't get it, like, it's just funny. It's just a thing. Your father, your father was a penny pincher, wasn't he? Yes. There you go. Yep. (laughs) Totally. Totally. How do you create on purpose? You have a book. Well, in, yes. In, in the book Creating on Purpose is a instruction manual for the full process of creation. Now uh, we come back to affirmations and the law of attraction. The law of attraction is one of 50 magical laws. And unfortunately, it got popularized. And now people think they can create just by thinking. But that's not how creation happens. Uh, we don't, we have a personal universe. And in your personal universe, you can create happiness by thinking happy thoughts you can create pain by thinking painful thoughts right Uh, that's your personal universe but that's only one universe Uh, there's a larger universe that includes my personal universe and your personal universe called the social universe and in the social universe that has different rules of creation than your personal universe where you can just create by thinking or, or conceiving in the social universe, we use communication, negotiation, exchange, um, you know, support, cooperation, collaboration. That's how we create in the social universe. And the social universe has a larger universe outside of it that encloses it called the physical universe. And that's the laws of physics, chemistry, biology, cosmology, and that kind of thing. So it, the physical universe was here before we were born. We don't have to create it. But what we can do is we can manipulate it. It has different laws of creation as well. So we can uh, cut and and join and shape and color and decorate the physical universe, right? To create something. We can dig up oil from the ground and turn it into plastic, which then gets molded into a something, right? So in order to have have the full experience of taking an idea and turning it into reality, You need to work with all seven levels of creation and all the different universes. And the seven levels are associated with the chakras. And so in this book, we talk about how the seven chakras where ideas come from, because we're connected to spirit, to something greater than ourselves. Then we visualize it in the sixth chakra. uh, And we have to visualize it really clearly so that it can be communicated. Mm -hmm. And then move to the fifth chakra and communicate it clearly to others and get feedback because the fifth mm-hmm. chakra is also our ears and hearing, not just our voice and talking. Mm-hmm. And so there's the, the feedback mechanism to shape the idea, to clarify it. And then we move into the heart chakra to get into relationship with people who will help us create that thing. Mm-hmm. Team mm-hmm. members, supporters, 
know, if you're going to build a house, the contra contractors and bankers. Uh, and then we move into the, the third chakra, which is the power chakra. That's where we start moving materials, moving the earth, moving reality to shape, to create the shape of our vision. And then the second chakra is passion. And we need passion for our vision because um, obstacles happen, shit happens, right? We need to have the passion that will move us through those obstacles, mm -hmm. get us to move the earth, you know, get us to keep going when it's hard. And then the first chakra is our base chakra, but it's connected to our legs and our feet. And that's where we take one step at a time of action to move our vision forward. So when you have all of those seven areas and all three universes integrated, then you can create anything in the world that you can conceive of, at least within the laws of physics. How did you figure that out? Well, Anadea Judith and I uh, joined forces to write that book. She's an expert on the chakras. I was an expert on beliefs because beliefs are operating at all, all those levels. And so we realized that we both had approaches to manifestation that if we combined would be really great. And we ended up teaching that course around the world before we wrote the book. The book is now our workshop uh, in, a, in a book. And we also have a program, a video program that takes you through the book. You get the book included in the program and that's at creatingonpurpose.com. So, cool. so that's, a, that's one of our offerings. Yeah. I love it. It's so interesting. What is Zen success to you? Well, my favorite uh, saying from a Zen master is from Suzuki Roshi, who brought Zen to the U.S. And he said, everything is perfect just exactly as it is. And it could use a little improvement. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for me, Zen success would mean that I'm in the state of recognizing everything is perfect and wanting to improve the world as well and give to other people and help help with poverty or you know wounded children or whatever whatever breaks my heart that's what i should be focused on because that's where my passion will be to heal the world and the world needs a lot of healing it's not just a little bit of improvement it's a lot of improvement so mm -hmm. it includes social action it includes personal action and so our, our work present success is to be successful inside ourselves, fully integrated, spiritual, physical, emotional, intellectual beings, working in the world and the social world and creating a better world for all. Yeah, wonderful. It's been such a pleasure getting to know you and hearing about your book, Transforming Trauma and your other book, Creating on Purpose. So I'll put your website and how to buy your class and books in the show notes. So thanks for being on my show today. Thanks, Chris. It's a pleasure to get to know you and I, I appreciate the opportunity. That's it for today's episode of Zen Success. Head on over to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to shows. Zen Success is also available on the radio in select markets through amfm247.com. Subscribe to the show and share with friends. Be sure to head on over to zensuccessshow.com to help you on your Zen Success journey. And join us on the next episode. May you find your own Zen Success in life.